We care about mental health in this country, right? I'd like to believe that. But over the course of the decades, it suggests otherwise based on what we're seeing. Maybe now it's coming to the forefront and people are talking about it more. And that's a positive thing. But the fact that we treat rather than attempt to cure is what's alarming. Now, I have the pleasure of having on Joan and Jane, the therapy twins, and they're going to share quite a bit of their history in the medical community of mental health as they were licensed therapists themselves and nurses working and practicing in the field. One of them was even a prescriber of medications. Welcome to The Daily Dose. I'm your host, Mike. Every week I talk about stuff that's important to me. Hopefully you find it of value as well. Today's Daily Dose is partly brought to you by GrassDoor.com. Cannabis delivery made simple at your door in 45 minutes or less, and you can save 40%. Just use the code DAILY at checkout. Here's a quick preview of a patient that the therapy twins have helped. Anyway, one young boy's story is you had to be really wealthy. It was a a self-pay to get into this place. One young man, what happened with him was during somebody's administration in politics, uh, this boy who was magnificently beautiful, when you looked at him, he was like a doll. That Ken doll had nothing on this kid. And what he was passed around was at the outings that the political men used to be in. He was passed around as the fuck for the night. We have an hour or more to discuss many different things. Uh, As we are all familiar, as of the last several years, mental health has been something really at the forefront of the conversation across the country. And, you know, like you said earlier, some of that can stem from financial, you know, um, troubles, as well as many other things, trauma from the past. Uh, This is a conversation I've had many, many times with many, many other guests and, you know, and personal conversations too. What really got me was uh, what I noticed um, uh, in in the profile I was reading that uh, both of you were former therapists. And, Uh And so like, that is always of interest to me is professionals, who are in the field, who uh, who get to see and experience things that the average person won't. So thank you for coming on. Let's let's have a great conversation, something meaningful, something that could potentially help our listeners, our watchers or readers. Um, so uh, let's start, you know, with yourselves. It says former. So yes, during that period of time, you know, um, did you enjoy what you were doing? Were you, were you, did you find yourself fulfilled or uh, a- anything at all? Just tell me about yourselves, please. One at a time. Okay. And, wow. and, mo- wow. and more importantly, please, I want, I want to, uh, I want to know um, who is Joan? Who is Jane? Okay. okay. Twins. You kind of look yes, the same. Yes. So. Wow. All right. I'm going to, I guess I'll start. I think this is Jane. I'll start with the end and work a little bit backwards. Sure. Um, I was getting frustrated with the profession. We were therapists and prescribers. And we got in trouble. I'm sorry. I got in trouble twice. Um, I can only speak for myself. The second time I got in trouble, the first time, <laughs> the first time was like, oh, okay. I agree with you. Uh, that's not going to happen again. The second time for me, 
um, six months into a one-year probation after they give you a nice fine for doing something that they didn't like, which had a lot to do with what you prescribed and how you documented it. Six months into a one-year probation, I had a gut feeling this is not going to go well, especially because of your basic beliefs on how patients should be treated. So get out now. So I retired very quickly. And the only thing people could find out about me is that I was um, cited. I don't recall what the terminology was. I did something wrong. They slapped my hand and I had probation. Wow. Right. And so then like a fool, I started renewing my license even though I wasn't going to practice anymore because I gave up my DEA willingly and stopped. I, I wasn't board certified. So anyway, um, a couple of years later, they got me with something that I, it was a computer error. I'm sorry. It was a human error. It was my error <laughs> on the computer. And the attorney for the department of public health said, this sounds like, something like perjury and we will go after Jane Buckley for the full extent of whatever that crime was. And it's because I didn't do it. I didn't click the correct button. I made an error. But before that, I absolutely loved the profession. I loved that I could prescribe kind of freely under the guidelines of how you're taught. And I loved the therapy part. I loved hearing people's stories I love putting the pieces of the puzzle together so they could gain some insight into what they were doing and how they were doing it and then maybe make some changes. I love the letters that would come that said, thank you for giving me my child back. Thank you for giving me my husband back. Thank you for allowing me to not disappoint my family. I graduated college. I mean, I loved it. With that are a few funny stories because with the good comes the bad is someone that um, used to really think that I was the greatest of the great and wrote a review online and all it said was terrible. And I, and I, and I, it saddened me that that's how it ended, but I could see his point as well. So anyway, um, then with all the confines of all the way to surrendering my uh, license, um, I don't like the way Western medicine is going in the physical realm and the emotional realm. And I feel like it's been, I, I've been watching it since I was a new graduate as an RN and then as an advanced practice registered nurse, I just saw the demise of how the care is influenced by either people want to sue you or the powers that be are going to get you in trouble or you cannot make a living wage. I know there's doctors and nurses that are making a lot of money too, but the majority are just trying to make a living wage and it's dictated by insurance reimbursement and denials and all these roadblocks. <laughs> so in the end, I'm, I feel I am a rebel and I'm so proud to have gone out the way I went out. So proud. And I just am looking forward to what's next in mental health. It's, it's interesting because instead of a lot of extra mental health workers and coverage why not a society that doesn't require a lot of mental health workers and, and coverage is what I, my goal would be for our, our country, our world. 
That would be fantastic, right? I mean, uh-huh. uh, no longer needing those services would be huge. Yeah. But then, but then you have uh, a great many powerful entities that would be upset that you know their drugs can no longer be sold because uh-huh. there are no more customers, right? Right. Um, right. And and so that I have to agree with you that we we have focused too much on treating and not enough on helping people cure and that could be said across the board for all medicine uh understandable again it's a it's a profit motivated industry much like anything but um you know there's been a there's been a belief i've had for many years and um and though it's not perfect it has its uh what's the word i'm looking for it has it has its issues with the line of thinking, but, you know, food, water, medicine, you know, those are, those are rights of people, you know, those those are entitlements. They shouldn't, they shouldn't be profit motivated, but because of production and research um, development, there's associated costs with these things. It's almost impossible to make them free, but uh, still incredible to think, from the very beginning, you were unhappy with the way the practice was being conducted as uh, as you were going through graduate school, coming out, mm-hmm. realizing this is all wrong, uh, but you're kind of in the system now. Uh, in fact, it, that was the point around when Jane graduated, I believe, when I think Big Pharma had some of their MDs on the board of co- uh, colleges and universities. And therein lies, you know, a trickle-down effect. Yeah, that sounds like a conflict of interest, doesn't it? Doesn't it? (laughs) Doesn't it? Well, you know, Big Pharma has a history of paying money for their mistakes, whereas the person living in poverty pays with jail time. Oh, right. So, Yeah, we've seen that a lot. Yeah, follow the money. We've seen that a lot, you know. Um, If... If someone, I mean, let's let's look at Purdue, right? The recent uh, settlement they had, millions of lives affected, um, probably tens of billions or more generated, and the settlement was fractions of that, right. but no, but no jail time. If yeah. I did that, or if you did that, uh-huh. we'd be in prison because chances are we don't have any type of settlement money. Uh, we couldn't pay out, but we, we'd be one thing is assured is uh, you, you would be prosecuted for it. Right. So and if a black man did it, they would spend the rest of their life in jail. In, in jail. At yeah. least in Connecticut, they would. In my so, opinion. so, Jane, that was that was a part of your history. Um, yes. What about you, Joan? Do you have a similar background in medicine? No. I wanted to be a comedian, but actually I wanted to be a model because we're five foot nine and extremely thin. And I wanted to do that, but we were knocked down in 1978. I believe they said you were flat chested and actually your butts were too big. So we couldn't do that. 
So then I wanted to be a comedian, but I actually had crippling anxiety and stage fright. So I hung around and followed Jane wherever she could go until I couldn't. I, Jane actually got married. <laughs> that was a bummer for me. But um, I ended up going back to school and she got me into college and I followed in her footsteps, went into psychiatry. Everyone said as a nurse, you cannot do that. You have to have one year of med surge. I don't know what they say now, but in 80 or 81, whenever I started there. Um, but yeah, I went right into psychiatry and um, she was a student there before me. And we had the privilege of seeing what mental health treatment could be. It was Yale University, and I'm not talking about, you know, evil insurance companies or different hospitals that are really quick and revolving doors. Yale University built it. It was like this one of a kind. And what happened was the psychiatrists at that time, we thought were gods. I did. And they were wor uh, working around the world with other people and talking about human reaction to trauma. And it was so amazing how you could see the medicines back then were very early and very toxic, but you could see these people getting better over years Whereas nowadays, average length of stay, I believe, is around 10 days in mental health um, inpatient. But back then it was 10 months. But my first primary patients, some of I ha had for three years. That's how long they were there. Not locked. Wow. Not locked. They were going back to school, finishing their lives. But what we did was what this uh, veteran does today, he, his job, he literally takes veterans out and allows them to experience life without being afraid a grenade is behind them. We took mentally ill patients that were responding to human trauma and we took them out into New Haven, Connecticut, sometimes Vermont for a ski trip. We took them out and showed them how to be a human being again without fearing for their lives for whatever reason they feared their lives. Some grew up in war zones. Some were abused. A lot were abused. Let's not hide that a lot. Whether it was their parent, it doesn't have to be parents too. I'm just saying that straying uncle, the straying aunt, that that grandmother who, you know, wow, what did she do? There's a lot of there's a lot of human trauma done by human beings to each other. Anyway, I loved psychiatry. I saw people getting better, and then I followed Jane into the um, realm of oof, prescribing, thinking you were going to do a world of difference in therapy, and one on one you did. And then um, things fell apart. It was that, you know, you're being dictated by the insurance company. People can't afford the care you want. You, God forbid you stepped out of the office. Oh, my God, with a mentally ill person and you stepped out of a, oh, wow. Well, now the powers that be, they won't pay you. Wow. You can't go anywhere. Oh, so it no. It has to oh, be within the, the, the oh, confines God. of the office. Where, I mean, where it's or the bedside in the or, inpatient. If yeah. it is your home and there are some therapists that have offices in their home, hmm. there are some strict guidelines with the insurance companies. But if you have an, an, an extra room, you can potentially turn that. But, but what, you, what the point is, is you can't step out of that room. The point <laughs> is, is if, if you're trying to, you know, even if you had a, uh, there was a flood and you, it's happening now with, um, the telepsychiatry during COVID, during the disaster, everyone could do it and there were yeah. no rules. Now that things are quieting Those down, are wonderful. 
you know, I still get these medical articles and they're talking about the insurance companies and what they'll dictate and what, the, what will be covered, what won't, et cetera. So it's all, you know, even depending tied. on which state your, um, your, your insurance is from. So it's going to be that when you go on vacation, you're going to have to notify somebody probably that you're actually not in that state because then the provider won't get paid or vice versa. You know, it will be some unlicensed thing and the prescription won't get covered. That's Isn't insane. it beautiful? Yeah, yeah. it's 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 yeah, it, it has so beautiful. many issues and it's no wonder why for 20 years uh, in politics, they, they argue about the right way to uh, to uh, create a bill that would help the majority. So healthcare has been talked about for a while and we can't really seem to figure it out. Uh, Obama's version of it. Um, when, when that was released still isn't great. I mean, to this day, it's got so many issues. Um, you know, going back to the telehealth, um, uh, aspect that you Mm -hmm. had mentioned, um, I, I feel like you may be talking about better help. Is that, is that one of them that you're, that you were thinking about better help has, was something that was really, uh, growing in popularity, a lot of uh, influencers were plugging them in as their sponsors in the beginning of every like YouTube video or podcast. Um, are you familiar I, I was, with that one? I'm not quite. Uh, you know what? We were not electronic in the end. That was <laughs> some people rumored was one of the downfalls. Um, I was just talking about when patients couldn't come see, could be in the office with their provider. There's something like a FaceTime or a Zoom mm-hmm. call that. That, and if that's what you're talking about, yes, it's stuff yeah, like we, that. We yes. were able to do it. And I felt that it was way better. People didn't cancel because a lot of times people canceled. They couldn't get the bus or they, could, they didn't get a, couldn't get a ride or they got up on, on the wrong side of the bed. And there's a lot of people that won't drive in the snow and stuff right. like that. Yeah. It's, it's nice to have that access immediately. It's uh, a, yeah. it, it just kind of like makes me wonder how, how effective is it compared to like face to face? I know that better help. It was one of those uh, kind of programs. It's fa- It's not face to face. It's online through zoom or whatever. Um, and it, it was just growing in popularity rather quickly because of the pandemic. I think mm-hmm. um, since both of you may have experienced um, using something like that at some point, um, would you say it's as effective, more effective, not effective as like in person. Oh, this is Jane. Sorry. I do have one opinion on it (laughs) so far. I mean, I did it very briefly right? with some clients. So let's say six months to a year. I can't even think. Um, The patients that I had the best relationship with, meaning I knew them the best. So I saw them the most where you get to know somebody and you get to know their nuances for me, it was perfectly fine that I needed to see them. Don't I had to see them, though, through that FaceTime or Zoom call. A lot of psychiatry is the vis- how the person's responding physically as well to things. We, it's, right. It's some human behavior is in on that. Um, but I think it would have been a little more difficult to have a new client and to, to develop that relationship that, you know, science hasn't quite proven yet that there is an energy in the room. Um, you do get a feeling about people when you spend time with them. 
um, et cetera. And because the, the cutest thing I ever heard was uh, cutest, my God, the most horrific, probably not quite, is um, when Native Americans were helping, I believe it was the Civil War. I, I could be way off. It could have been, maybe you'll know. It could have been our Revolutionary War. But uh, when Native Americans were assisting as scouts and because they knew the land and we at some point had them cut their hair just to be in the military. And when their hair was cut, they believed their senses weren't as uh, on, on point that they lacked. They believed that every part of the human body, including hair and nails, was assisting with that sixth sense that we all have that people have a hard time proving. That's so interesting. That could have been the Revolutionary War. Um, yeah. <laughs> you, may, you may be right. That may, that may have been, it could have also been during the Civil War. Uh, Native Americans have played a huge um, role in, um, in the development of this nation in various uh, conflicts. Um, so it's kind of, it's kind of crazy how we've treated them. There was a podcast I did um, uh, almost a year ago with uh, some very, varying different Native American tribes and their, and their cultural leaders at the time. Uh, they're uh, in their historic departments and uh, it's horrific what, you know, what was done to them, what was yeah. promised, never delivered, <laughs> always taken advantage of. Um, but there's something to be said about, uh, I want to say ancient cultures, you know, they, they had something that though mm. mo the, the modern world at the time couldn't understand, but it didn't mean it didn't exist or wasn't true. Right? right. So today, today exactly. we discover many things like that, uh, that, um, you know, these cultures were very sophisticated for their time, uh, even though we may have had, uh, whether it, it's uh, Spain or any other conquerors that would come uh, to the West and say, no, these are savages. We're the, you know, we're the modern society. But I mean, all in all, it's uh, understandable I've um, I've experienced like face to face counseling. I went through it as a kid. I've taken antidepressants. Um, you know, some of it worked, some of it didn't. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like being able to speak to somebody is for sure beneficial. So sometimes, whether whether you're young or older in life, uh, being able to turn to somebody and have conversations about what you're going through can be very powerful. I, I feel that. Um, with professional therapy, it can get a little tricky because there is some sense of fear at times for those that uh, feel like they can't say certain things, right? Because it's you're obligated as a professional to document it, report it if there's any kind of self-harm mentioned, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's rather difficult. But what kind of like, you know, what kind of patients did you have over the years? What, you know, what, what are some of the different traumas that you came across? Um, there's probably so many, right? Well, what are some yes. of the most I, notable ones? Okay. Well, this is Joan. And um, I'm going to go back to that psychiatric facility in the 80s. Those traumas were, th you had to fail three inpatient hospitalizations to get into that place. 
those traumas where you didn't even think were, were true. If somebody tried to put that into a movie, you'd say, mm -mm, it's not true. So what something I'm going to go from there to the traumas in our in, in, in the office from there, I want to say one particular person, a young, a young boy, um, he was uh, admitted as a teenager. The unit was would never be able to be today. It was 15 to age 40 who thought male and female who thought that was going to work. It, it eventually didn't. Um, so, yeah. So the, anyway, one young boy's story is you had to be really wealthy. It was a, a self pay to get into this place. One young man. What happened with him was during somebody's administration in politics uh, this boy who was magnificently beautiful, when you looked at him, he was like a doll. It, he, that Ken doll had nothing on this kid. And what he was passed around was at the outings that the political men used to be, be in. He was passed around as the fuck for the night for everybody. So there's one right. trauma there. Moving ahead in, in um, one of the worst for a, a girl for me, was the only orgasm she had was by her father. Like, awesome. She's dead today. She tried several times to take her life, and she succeeded. She finally did it. Now, in my office a couple of years ago, at least 80% told of the trauma. And what happened was it made me into this, you know, I was a bright person wanting to help, and then it made me cynical because... They were all telling me about these molestations and rapes and what, what? Uh, got getting, well, Jane has horror stories too, uh, when people got pregnant. And I'm thinking people say since the early time, early time, tell me if this wasn't a, a quote, children are resilient, aren't they? Those little things, they are so resilient. I'm here to say, no, we aren't. And if you could just treat a child with human respect and dignity and like those rights that you said, it's not, a, it's not a right. Yeah, it is a right. It's a human right to have those things like to be taken insurance. care of. Then you're going to never have a mental health country or world. You are going to have a mental illness country or world because in the 50s when the dsm diagnostic bible came out based on insurance companies reimbursement what they said in the beginning was even schizophrenia is a human reaction to trauma you don't separate them and say oh look at that look at that biological fuck up oh my god thank god i don't have i wouldn't yeah. even know how to comment on mental illness. I don't have that. So within a few decades, yes, what we were Jane taught is the, is Jane talking is the whole chemical imbalance thing, which is coming to an end. You know, one of the things I saw, and I, I have to say that I loved science so much. Um, I didn't realize I had ADHD primarily inattentive type because I was just told I was the smart twin and I did so well in school, but little did anyone know I graduated high school having never read a book in my entire life at that moment uh, because she read cliff notes. I read so. cliff notes. I mean, any, anything I did, I couldn't read the, the, I couldn't, I could read. I just wasn't comprehending. It was just very, very inattentive. But I thought, I mean, the scientists that I was honored to work with or me, I was, they were brilliant people 
you know, looking for the highest good, please, all of, all of medicine, the intentions, the, the, the road to hell, those intentions were paved with good ones, good ones we were influenced. So when I graduated as a prescriber in 2000, it was just very much, you know, this chemical imbalance and you look at this medication and some of the meds were fabulous, but I got to say that twice in my career, psychiatry was, you know, just outshined by anthropologists and archaeologists. I mean, it was in National Geographic, (laughs) whoever studies apes, I believe it was, and that they, they told psychiatry, you've gotten it wrong all these years. And they talked about a neurotransmitter called glutamate. And oh, my goodness, that oh, is that why those meds are working better? Oh, I see. So let's do more research. And they did. And, and I mean, that's just a very exciting hormone. That's the hormone when we as as human beings see a tiger, glutamate goes up because you have to run. Well, we as women, sometimes we see men, glutamate goes up. <laughs> we have to run. All you want to do is calm glutamate. Sometimes you don't have to drug us up with GABA benzos. They were very good. They're very good. I got a couple of master's degrees on benzos. But we don't want to just keep drugging ourselves with uh, downers. Sometimes we just need to feel normal. So why don't you calm the beast within? That's, that's a, fascinating. That's yeah. That's actually, that's very fascinating to, uh, to, to consider that um, they recognize that uh, to, be, uh, to be the, the one chemical. Um, they studied it. But instead of figuring out how to get that under control, that's, that seems like that would have been probably a much um, straightforward option, right? But, yes. but yeah, but yeah, we, instead we have anxiety medication, we have, you know, depression medication, we have, uh, uh, and a plethora of them, you know, if this doesn't work, well, it's all right, one, all right. I was on one that did, uh, the research said it did calm glutamate. And it was a seizure med. And why I know people are opposed by seizure meds. The old ones, they had you had overgrowth of gums, very bad look. I get it. I wouldn't go on that either. I'd probably rather seize as a woman than have overgrowth of my gums. So the, most of them are taken off the market with that. But, you know, there's a one called Lamotrigine, Lamictal. Uh, when that uh, came out, I thought, are you kidding me? It's an anti-seizure and it calms glutamate. Boom, I was on it. I was on that for... Two years until it went generic. Um, and Why then, don't you share with people before you were on board how you read the side effect profile and said, no, I don't think so. With Lamictal? Yes. No, it was the antidepressants that I didn't like because it caused, they caused sexual dysfunction. And I already had a difficulty having an orgasm anyway. Why would I take meds on board to further this process? It was like, I might as well just be by myself and never have sex. But maybe Lamictal bothered me. Why? I went on it immediately. I was just hoping to to help let people know there are medications that, well, at least I would take in a second. And I would, I would have, our parents were on a couple here and there. And there was only, there's only a few that I would not take. And I just wanted to comfort people that, you know, there is, I took an an antibiotic for um, bronchitis And, you know, when you get bronchitis, usually it's a cyclical thing. So you get it several years in a row. And as a former smoker of cigarettes and a healthcare worker, um, I did get bronchitis. And I was reading the package insert of 
the antibiotic and halfway down it said sudden death. Well, I took it anyway, right? And very few people died. I know those side effects she's talking about. <laughs> yeah, with Lamictal, but with antibiotics and even ibuprofen, which I used to take every day, don't do that. Um, th- there's a side effect of a Stevens-Johnson rash where the skin starts to sloth off. You have to stop It's a medical it. emergency. It's an emergency. <laughs> but do you see, I keep thinking it wouldn't happen to me. So, of course, I, I did take that. And I would tell patients, clients, excuse me, if, hey, I would do this, but if it was a medicine that they were asking me about and I had an opinion, you know, I, pro- I wouldn't go on that myself personally. You know, a lot of people didn't care. They just wanted that medicine they saw on television. So I think that's a disservice. We are one of two countries and I never get the other country right. I believe it's, I want to say New Zealand that allows pharmaceuticals to do the commercials. Yeah the, yeah, the commercials are insane, whether it's radio or TV yeah. or, you know, infomercials. Yeah, um, yeah you're right, because people see it and they're like, oh, I, you know, I want to try this. You know, can, I, yeah. can you get me on this thing uh, without a second thought? I mean, but that's how we've been conditioned, too. I yes. mean, instead of uh, instead of trying to find the the causation of symptoms, okay. it's more like, OK, I want it to be gone and I want it to be instant and I want yes. it to be you know, smashed into a pill, a single pill that gets rid of my problems. Uh, but like much, much like bo- how, how both of you have mentioned, you know, the people you've spoken to, the people you've treated, um, their traumas are so deep. Like there's, there's no one medication that'll ever do that for anybody. It's, it's damn near impossible. And the saddest thing is that, yes, some people take their own lives because they never get that, uh, that closure, the resolution, Uh, which can take a lifetime or more. You know, we had a conversation with a a third nurse, not a prescriber. You know, we were all just joking about nursing. As nurses do. Right, as nurses do (laughs) sometimes, you know, especially when you're overworked and finally there's maybe a a doable salary. But And we were talking about this, this young man that was like a revolving door. He just continually went inpatient and, Inpatient, you know, never afforded the treatment that is impossible now, which we were talking about. I was a student and Joan worked. And one of us joked at the very end of the story saying, and yes, and once again, he was discharged to the problem. And the problem is either, you know, all the way to the family home, to the city you live in or town you live in. And, and that's what we do. And, And it's, it's very much insurance driven and it's very sad. You know, when I think it was Obama, I don't know which administration had to hire or increase their fraud department. It was Medicare had to increase their fraud department by so much money because I, you know, every once in a while in any profession, you get the bad guy, but there were good people just trying to get paid for services rendered and are jumping through hoops. And in Medicare is actually this one single payer called Medicare is actually a very, very good program, just like a lot of cities, towns have state uh, or I'm sorry, uh, states have Medicaid programs for the the poor. Mm -hmm. These are excellent programs. Do they cover every single medication? Medicare, no. They also are a business and they have to make sure they um, get their money and pay the money that they want to to the prescriber because they are a very decent payer 
to the prescriber as well. And so, um, what's the point? The point is, is we're we're discharging people to a problem, whether it's poverty or access to care. Why are we living in the greatest country in the world, but our citizens don't have access to care? Oh, because one of my exes, he suffers from addiction. And that's exactly what he said. Now, he needs an appointment. He ended up, whatever. It, he can't even understand the forms because he has a head injury as well. And I want to say two times in my life, I needed way more than two. I needed health care out of this great country. And I was in two different countries. And I walked in, I got the care. I I don't speak either language. I walked in, I got the care I needed, the medicine I needed. And I left with a follow-up of either another appointment or going back home if I was fine. This country is like, you have to wrestle like that MME or whatever to even try to get a form to, to download it, to get it filled out to the point of, oh my God, in a couple of months, I might get coverage. It is amazing. And I feel sorry for you guys because boys and men are eight years uh, likely, more likely in America to die, eight years younger than your counterparts in other countries that have some somewhat of a healthcare system. Yeah. Eight years. And they said it's worrying about healthcare, your diet. So chick fucking filet isn't food. I know everybody thinks it is McDonald's, your diet. And what was the, is there another one? Hmm. Oh, well, you're, you're men. Sorry. How about that? I'll just, uh, you know, I'm the mother of the you guys. So. Yeah. Oh, well, you know, chick fil A may not be food, but it's damn delicious. But, <laughs> That's what I hear. Yeah, I hear it is. But, We've never had it. <laughs> but I totally agree with you. I had a, another doctor on um, maybe a few months ago, and that's his profession. Well, we discussed in detail how food has become weaponized. It's hyper palatable, uh, designed to hit the bliss point. Virtually every food, manufactured food, yes. um, you name it. So, yeah. and there's incredible scientists that are working day and night concocting, you know, exactly how much salt, how much fat, how much sugar. Yeah. Needs to be, you know, uh, crammed into these products to make them hyper palatable. So uh, that's under- diet is a huge one. I didn't know healthcare was at let's say at the top of the list of concern for uh, for men in this country. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I can I can say it's a problem for me. I had to hit the uh, the ER a few months ago. That bill was like five grand, and um, it blew me away because I'm like, what do you mean Kaiser's not paying any of this? Right, right. Like like wow. none. Nothing. Yeah. You know, we are from the days where anyone you knew that had a job, at least out of college, I I should say, um, had health insurance. And I remember I was a brand new graduate nurse in 1982, and I got a job at the Yale New Haven Hospital, right? And I, within a few months, had to pay for part of my health insurance. And People would argue with me and they, because that was not the norm. So, you know, that was my first taste of you know, why would a hospital charge me? And I, I knew that things were going to go bad <laughs> downhill from there. And, and now it's common knowledge. You get charged. But back right. then it was a disgrace that the hospital did it first. I, yeah, I broke know. my foot. And I just, um, I, that's why I'm in Florida. I broke my foot and the bill is 43000 what? Like what? Yeah. Well, I had to be operated on and something's in there. 
And I paid half of it and then I couldn't, they couldn't squeeze anymore. And it's like, I'm running now. Bye. Good luck. Yeah. Good, good luck, luck because I found a young man. I know he probably healed better than I did, but he had full health insurance. So there's something called explanation of benefits. And he showed me the piece of paper. He had the same fractured list franc that I had 23,000 inclusive for his physical therapy and everything. And I got cut off because I couldn't afford physical therapy to pay anymore. And yeah, so they overcharged me. And I, I heard that hospitals overcharge for things, but I don't know how that's helpful. Well, I mean, More especially when you can't, dust. especially when you yeah. can't pay, it's like you already paid half of it. Like what more yeah. do you want um, to, to, to try to gouge somebody? You know, I have a, a relative has been dealing with cancer. She, she did beat it. And um, the, but she worries every single day she'll run out of money because she right. has to keep paying for these treatments. You know, um, yeah. this is, this is after her husband died. She collected life insurance. She buried him. Whatever's left, maybe a million dollars. Like, still, that's a concern for her because when you're when one visit is mm -hmm. costing you like ten grand per visit, right. it's um it's a scary feeling when you're in retirement. And you're like, will I, will I have anything left at the end of this? Right. That, yeah, right. that's it's just wrong. It's wrong that we that it, it, in a in a in a forty trillion dollar economy. Right. Just the U.S. alone. This is money that changes hands every second of the day. It's not like money that's uh, that's stagnant or anything. This is just the circulating uh, <clears throat> sums of money in this country on a daily basis that, um, you know, we have found that the medical system is so rigged against just regular people. Yeah, that, that even insurance isn't really doing much. Like, what was what was Obamacare supposed to do? It was supposed to make sure everyone was covered. Okay, that's great. So now we we're all covered <laughs> under the law. It's mandatory, but if it barely pays for anything or nothing right. at times, was so what is it really doing? Wow! Right, right. You know what it was intended to do? Um, I didn't me. even know this. Hi, what is, I didn't even know that it was intended to expand Medicaid, something that was already in place. Medicare, I think. No, and, 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 Medicaid. and Medicaid. And so, yeah, so Medicare too. Like, why not lower it and lower it? Because eventually it's going to get to everybody. I mean, why not give health care? Those two countries were Austria and France. I mean, it was so pleasurable. And then here I would get bronchitis as well. And, you know, again, the prescription wasn't covered. You know, which one did you want, Joan? That one. The doctor said that one. Well, now you're getting this one because the contract was with CVS versus Walgreens versus whatever. Dunkin' fucking donuts. I don't know where the, the prescription was. It was probably there. Yeah. <laughs> people, people think that, you know, there was a time when you're, when so-and-so's insurance down the street was better than the other ones. <coughs> But, you know, when a human gets that taste for money and it's an actual business, it's a business model. And the business model's goal is profit. Making so money. when that's the motivation behind everything, you know, everything else has to be second. So there was a time where this insurance or that insurance, and we're talking private ones, were the best. But if you observe them over time, I mean, one of the reasons one of them was the best, and I'm not saying names. Yeah is because prior to being the best, they were the worst and no one wanted I remember them. That. And it is a story yes. where a young girl needed a kidney transplant. Mm. And this insurance company gave the parents such a runaround. 
just to the point where the girl died. And when they oh. finally received the call back that they, yes, will cover whatever it was, the mother had to say, you are a little too late. My daughter is dead. And now they're, and one, now of the they're one of the best. Yeah. Because they had to show. So when you make a company that gets to fight for the best, the most beautiful and the most this, it's a goddamn competition. And don't tell me we don't keep having sports and Hollywood and corporations and everybody's cheating. (laughs) And I just heard that. um, I just heard that. Some people are very upset that young people are looking for a more socialist type of country. And that is very, very scary to a capitalist nation. Well, but to this but, white guy that was what, talking about. What I'd like to say is to, to every single human being. Yeah. The, the fact that we want, a lot of us, a socialist, socialized Medicare type of health insurance so all may be covered does not have to mean that every you have to give up everything else you right. know you, i one of my mentors i was very honored to have a mentor an md a canadian and us citizen he grew up in canada and was able to talk truthfully about the downfalls of a single payer insurance and then he had the privilege of course to do I, did I say, of course, he was a very hard worker and deserved every penny he made. But he had the opportunity to spend a lot of time in Australia on vacation. And he came back and you could not talk with him without him raving about, at that time, the Australian system, which included a single payer, but also if people wanted other private stuff, companies as well. And that's something we don't want in this country. We want to badmouth that idea so you have, I can shove you, my idea down your throat. Do you know what I heard people saying when um, <clears throat> the, um, what was the Obama administration thing called again? Affordable Care Act? That. People started saying, oh my God, I, I don't want that. And I would be like, why? And sometimes it would be my client then I'm going to have to wait in line. And I'm thinking, you selfish bastard. I have no health insurance. You don't want to. I've shared amniotic fluid. I have shared my whole life because I'm a twin. I don't understand the people. they, they, They commute this thing where they don't know how to share. Well, that was supposed to be taken care of in fucking kindergarten. You didn't. You should have been held back. I'm sorry. You should have been held fucking back. Until you learned your skills. Diversity training. Boom. Done by first grade. Now you're ready to learn. Because that nonsense shit is over there with Susie's oven and the baseball bat or whatever they do in kindergarten. Grocery store. That thing. Yeah. But I say, could you teach me a language when I'm that little? Please. It's so much easier than me struggling now. Because in Europe, I only knew English, barely. And I'm there. And I was an embarrassment to our country. Most people there, everywhere I went, knew like three languages. I was really an embarrassment. So I would have liked to have, you know, lived. I mean, learned another language. And can I say, to go back to the Affordable Care Act that was unaffordable for certain um, middle class, upper middle class, people that didn't get the perks of the billionaires that run everything and don't have to pay taxes and stuff like that. Um, 
the people that thought it was a Medicaid type system or a Medicare type system um, must be ignorant. They were, it's unfortunate people yeah. didn't know that, that the only way that got passed was, I don't know who had to bow down to whomever, but those were all private health insurance companies competing with um, the pricing. It was just, it was um, laughable. It was all these private health insurance companies. So in, in on, don't you worry though, on, on that insurance card, it would make sure that the provider knew that, oh, you're one of those. So you have this health insurance, but you are a, a byproduct of the Affordable Care Act. So therefore I now have to go double check to see if I'm getting the reimbursement that's kind of Medicaid or Medicare-ish. And then I'll make my decision on your care based on how much uh, my, the, my kid's college tuition costs, et cetera, yep. or the overhead of this small business. I'm trying to stay above water because in Connecticut, if you have a small business and I'm talking a smaller doctor's office too, oh, I mean, God it. love you if you can make it. It's quicksand. That's it's fun. about 48%. Taxes, yeah, it's almost fifty percent of everything. Yeah, yeah, on everything. Yeah, right. But the billionaires don't don't have to pay anything, right? Right. Right. You know, my first year, my very first year as a a nurse practitioner, um, there was twenty-seven thousand dollars that I had already done the therapy or whatever with clients, and it was twenty-seven thousand. I went to that accountant and I thought, "Ha, look at this deduction." And, you know, whatever. And he tore it up and said, I hope you saved a lot of money. I said, what are you talking about? And he said, you owe 10000 more, even though I paid my quarterly taxes. You owe another ten grand." And I said, but I lost twenty-seven. He said, welcome to healthcare." And I'm thinking, whose health care is this? Right. I mean, do I need another accountant? Or, you know, is it just because I don't know what was going on? But boy, pretty so, bad. Sometimes, sometimes that is the case. You Sometimes yes. you do need another accountant. Yes. Um, that's- because- <laughs> You know, because, yes. I, I, you know, as a, as a small business myself, I, I've hopped around a, a couple of times. I found just the right one and uh, they've they've done an incredible job. But if it is industry based, yeah, that's there. There's things that you just can't circumvent and neither can the accountant. Um, right. That's all we can do along the way. If you're a small business is learn, learn as fast as you can, uh, because it's not just about um, overhead and profit margins. It's uh, learning the laws figuring out how you can work within them or circumvent them if uh, if there's no consequences to doing so. Uh, but it's fucked, it, you know, on so many levels. Uh, just thinking about what you had said, Jane, earlier, that uh, the hospital can, uh, will take your, your healthcare card and then run it and then see like, oh, you're, you're one of these patients. Now we have mm-hmm. to kind of figure out like, how are we going to treat you based on how we're going to get reimbursed? I mean, I get it. You know, there was an option for me with the, uh, with the ER bill that I received. It said, if you need financial help, just write us a letter, include your 1099, you know, so that we can verify uh, your income and everything. And um, in it, I, you know, I had to explain to them, like, this is a kind of a crazy bill. You know, five grand is a bit much. I would have accepted 2,500, would mm-hmm. have gladly paid it, but I, I just don't understand how it got inflated to five grand for some quick blood test. There was no surgery or, or anything. Um, but the, the point I made in it was like, I'm not trying to diminish the quality of service you guys administered, 
I just, you know, want a fair, you know, fair bill that, right. uh, that, that, that is achievable for me based on income level, especially considering that, um, you, like you see my healthcare insurance, it's not a premium insurance. It can only <laughs> afford so much, uh, but you know, it's like, it just kind of automate this thing, you know, the system just prints out the, the services conducted at the highest prices that it can uh, be allowed. And that's kind of your bill. I can only imagine for other people, you know, much severe cases and it can bankrupt you. For some, it can right. just completely like ruin your life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that's just <clears throat> some of the aspects with with mental health. When we like when we circle back and look at mental health, I mean, have you noticed this uh, growing trend and in interest in alternative plant medicines for mental health? Have you Absolutely. have you been following along? Psilocybin <clears throat> mushrooms, MDMA. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And I don't love all of them. I'm just I based it on one cat had a horrific, (laughs) horrific experience on ketamine on paper. Don't get me wrong. I even did a report in uh, whatever university, but on paper, it looks excellent. But that one, I probably wouldn't. California loves it. And I think sometimes the West Coast does respond differently because your palm trees are different (laughs) than the East Coast. (laughs) But it was a client. And I have to just put so much gratefulness to this one client who we had therapy cats and they were these two orange cats that suffered their own trauma and they couldn't go home with anyone. So the animal um, facility asked businesses, can you take these cats? They are used to being around loads of people during the day, scurrying around in a waiting room, in a waiting room or in closets, but they can't, they want to be alone at night. And we were at business. So we said, sure, don't do it. It was not a good idea, but they, (laughs) the the boys ended up coming home. They were very, they were wealthy. So anyway, um, until they got home, <laughs> so, so there were the cat. Oh, so the client, the, one of the cats jumped out of the, the closet and it was real high to the floor. And the client said, I didn't know anything at that time because he jumped. The client said, boy, you ought to get that treated, Joan. And I said, what's that? And he said that PTSD. And I said, oh, yeah, I, I've treated that. <laughs> and he said, no, you didn't. When the cat jumped, you were the only one in the room that did the meat, the jerk. So he was right. And, you know, God love him. He was on the medical marijuana program. So I researched because I'm from the day and age when Nancy and uh, Ronald Reagan said, just say no, it's the devil. It's evil. This is your brain on drugs. And I believed them to an extent. Everyone we knew smoked pot. Of course, we did, too, in the 70s. But we became nurses in the 80s. And you would lose your license if you were even in a car. Right. So I was dead against it. I, of course, drank my liver into a stupor, but, you know. Not, not until you were about 35. Yeah, okay. Start yeah, that that's how you remember. So, anywho. <laughs> <laughs> anywho, the medical marijuana program turned my life around, and I was blown away of the um, added physical benefits to me. Like, I became... Uh, you know, I ate meat, I went vegetarian, I went vegan. And then I started thinking, huh, this is weird, the physical effects I'm feeling from that change in diet. And then when I had the medical marijuana program, 
the physical effects, like your bladder, it stops it from spasming. And if you are beginning over your age 50, you know, your bladder, that's urgency. It's an, it's a medical emergency when you have to go to the bathroom when you're in, you know, cause we're 62 now it's like, whatever. So now the marijuana program has allowed me to act like I'm a teenager and it's just amazing. And it's good for your skin. It's good for Alzheimer's. Everyone on our father's side of the family got Alzheimer's. His brothers and sisters, all of them, if they lived long oh, enough. God, I know, 100%. THC. And I found this out so much later that if you're going to ask me about these new programs, I am. I'm kind of angry because people didn't have to suffer because right. that drug era that was a fake you know, let's control the population with big pharma and whatever and take these natural substances away from people. So anyway, PTSD is now in remission, but Alzheimer's, uh, THC is going to be an yes. epidemic. Google it, safari it, look it up in a book. THC inhibits the amyloid plaque from building up in the brain, which is the cause of dementia. Thank you. So really? let's look at Willie Nelson, look at whatever Chong, G, Chong. Yeah, if, you know, just, look, you know, sometimes <laughs> something's yeah. right in front of your face and because it's just a separate department. So for example, you know, you're, you're on an adolescent unit and everybody's acting like your brother, Harry, and you're like, oh, I guess, you know, maybe my family was like that. So here it is. We knew all these long-term pot smokers and None of them had anything wrong with them. Nothing. Not even their teeth. Nothing really. No cavities. One of them had something that always in medicine, you know, when you hear yes. it always does this, you know, it doesn't always, you almost. know, every once in a great while almost. someone beats it, but it always goes into cancer. Well, not with that dude. It didn't. Nope. So anyway, that was a big, you know. I, of course, I, my next would be, I would like to try mushrooms, but you know, I'm not going to go to a doctor. I'm going to do the old fashioned way with the closest friends that we have, that we love and are feel safe with who have already done mushrooms. Of course, I'm going to try that. Jane, Jane and I were laughing though. We hope we don't get the Bill Burr experience that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I said to Joan, I don't oh. think I'm going to do that because I feel like I'm more like Bill Burr in his childhood experience that. I would feel that tremendous, tremendous sense of loneliness or aloneness. So I, I think he did it for me. And I'm turning into a wise older person because a smart person learns from their own mistakes. A wise person yeah. learns from others. And I think I could do it out <laughs> uh, because, you know, what's interesting that maybe people want to hear because I've also been on antidepressants. This is Jane. I, my trauma uh, presented mostly in, um, poor attention, concentration, and a severe depression. And, um, and so I tried a med here and there, and every once in a while, it was like, wow, this is what you're supposed to feel like. I'm like, this is, this is, this is unbelievable. But what people don't know, including the clinician, and I reach out to both patients and clinicians, be aware that there's a possibility that that wasn't the, the top emotion yet mm -hmm. so you know i go from antidepressant a b to c well c got me so much happier and then the last one i tried i actually had i used to tell clients they were looking for that motivation factor how do i get out of bed this feeling of wanting the, the depression or anxiety or whatever it is ptsd 
the presentation of any mental illness where you can't get out of bed because life is just too difficult. I'm not putting my feet on the floor. So I used to joke with every single one of them, when I find the treatment for that, not only will you be getting it, but I'm going to get it as well because I needed that one last thing. And the last antidepressant I tried, it gave me, I didn't get out of bed, but my mind was screaming, Jane, get up. It's going to be a good day, you know? And so we're getting there in, in science, but I think that the more natural um, yeah, assistance and let's call it, I would call them natural meds because a lot of medications were uh, from plants, from plants, like tons of right. see the effect that this plant does. The digitalis plant, for yeah. example, mm-hmm. became the famous opioids, uh, the famous antiarrhythmic drug mm-hmm. digoxin from the digitalis plant. You see, they used to name them similarly. And I think that one way a business member, I know my conniv- uh, conniving mind in that because I wanted to go into advertising before nursing because I wanted to manipulate humans to want to talk to me because I was the unfunny twin and everyone seemed to be joyous when Joan came in the room. And why wouldn't they? She had a smile on her face and I didn't. I get it. So I would have thought, well, if you name these pills too close to their plant counterpart, the entire 50% at least of the human population, because we are all natural scientists, whether we go into science or not, a lot of us like science, some of us maybe don't. (laughs) And we would be trying St. John's wort and chewing on that. Oh, I thought that, yes, they did in South America, they chewed on the coca plant before we, you know, a human decided, let's make a lot of money on this and turn it into something called cocaine. I mean, a lot came from plants. So yes. I guess the answer is yes. We're very interested in all of it, actually. Yes. Well, that's something that we have uh, very much in common. Then I've spent a, a great deal of time, especially within my own um, business, exploring plant medicines, helping people over the years, um, at least helping them discover it, answering questions, and of course, it's never like actual medical advice because I'm not a doctor, but um, giving those tools to people so that they can do their own research and then giving them the access to the products that I carry um, have yielded uh, tremendous results, positive results for so many. I would say in the last 10 years, probably thousands. Um, but I have a ton of experience with psilocybin. Um, I, I have learned a, a great deal about what you had just said, noticing that um, a lot of medications are derived from plants because nature is the number one abundant source for all things, whether it's sustenance or for medicine. Um, and uh, it, that's where it becomes just kind of, uh, I want to say vague, how, you know, how is it we can turn to these plants and discover a unique alkaloid or a unique chemical within it and say, well, we want to just isolate that. And disregard everything else. The same could be said about cannabis today. Mm-hmm. During the medical era of cannabis, we had, I want to say, reasonable proportions of all uh, inclusive cannabinoids that were naturally occurring. Today, yeah. if you come to California under the recreational laws, you're going to notice when you look at lab reports for the cannabis you buy, high THC, zero cannabinoids. 
And I've been very critical about this. I've talked about it many times on my podcast. The The purpose uh, is to inform people that, you know, this plant has always been uh, and and has always had these naturally occurring cannabinoids, CBD, CBN, CBA, um, CBG, yeah, removing them has uh has serious implications on i want to say mental health we're beginning to see that so in by 2017 i was getting an influx of people for cbd these are all cannabis smokers yeah but they were noticing like more panic attacks more stress Mm -hmm. more anxiety where was it stemming from it was stemming from the fact that they were consuming too much cannabis but under the medical era which we had for 15 years prior Yep. No one ever exhibited these things. Right. At least it wasn't it, it wasn't quantifiable enough for people to come forward and seek something else. So what the hell happened? Wow. And we were, I was on the program in Connecticut and now in Florida. In Connecticut, it was run by pharmacists and they did list the percentage, but there were some zero percents of some of those things, you know, because I was looking also not THCV, there was something that was better for anxiety. I was looking that. She was looking for that was for <laughs> weight loss or something. It either decreased your appetite. I actually <laughs> think that it helped improve your metabolism too. I, yeah. Wow. Um, and I remember That's the powerful. one that, yeah. And the one strain, I remember, of course, Connecticut, the downfall of Connecticut, they wouldn't label the, the uh, bud as something you could then recognize. It was, you know, Na- uh, Nancy oh, Reagan, it whatever. It was like pharmaceutical. It things. was awful. So the one strain I loved, I have to wait for Connecticut to have it in again so I can now figure out what was in it. And it was very low THC because I remember a client saying, I only buy the highest. And I'm thinking, really, this other one? But well, we're really into terpenes. But you're right. The cannabinoids, it's in our skin. There is, is a cannabinoid system everywhere. Oh, you're talking about CB1, CB2, endocannabinoid. Oh, yeah. One of the pharmacists said that CBD should be in the water. That's how good it is for you. And our body wants it. You know, right. what was so right. exciting for us, or I know for me, I really think for Joan too, was to speak with, like we said, Connecticut's um, marijuana programs run by pharmacists yeah. and the, uh, the rest of the staff are like pharmacy techs. Yeah. But there they are in these beautiful places called dispensaries. The knowledge that they had and to be able to talk to medical professionals on the science level of a substance that works for so many different disorders and to be able to have that conversation was so amazing for me anyway. Yeah, it was. It should be. It's, it's very important. I mean, even the conversation of psilocybin these days is, um, is really out of the normal. It's only been popular a few years now. I've been taking it since 2017 to deal with a lot of my own uh, issues and um, I started making videos about it when I discovered substantial changes. I mean, so serious that I'm like, no, people should hear about what I'm experiencing and what I have discovered. And I said, uh, and I mean, those those videos have um, gone semi-viral since because there's more and more interest in it, but there's something very beautiful about that, uh, that experience of psilocybin. You were saying Jane, that, uh, you know, you're not really too sure. You don't want to have the, uh, experience that Bill Burr did, but, uh, and yeah. maybe so, some of that feeling of like loneliness. Um, so a lot of the reported 
experiences by many people over the years has been um, while going through the psilocybin treatment, whether it's through a program or on your own, many of them come back and say they feel a renewed uh, you know, connection to existence. I, I have experienced that too. I've developed a method that works for me and I use it primarily in nature most of the time. So the time, the place, you know, conditions are all perfect, how I want to actually experience this medicine. And whenever I do it, I feel exactly what people are saying. I get this greater sense of how everything around me is alive. And it certainly is, right? Mm-hmm. You, you yes. watch when you're under the influence of psilocybin, you can look at plants while you're out there and you would not feel that sense of loneliness. You can clearly see that this plant is breathing, you know, or that you see birds and insects and just everything. Uh, it's a remarkable experience to document and to reflect on, which I have. I reflect on it daily, thinking about um, what it is, what it means, um, and whether or not, um, you know, whether or not uh, it, it's going to potentially help civilization for the future if we can just allow more people to experience it i want to pull one of these quotes from your profile here which um i i found really um i want to say compelling um we all have a tiger biting at our heels a tiger of trauma no matter who you are or how you were raised it's a part of your experience it's absolutely true whether you were the, let's say, as you said, Joan, the fuck doll that gets passed around, you know, um, among powerful yes. people. Yes. Or whether it's your grandparent, uncle, brother, um, how we treat each other is mm. really, really um, important. And that's something I took away from psilocybin too, realizing much of, much of all the trauma that exists in the world is inflicted by another. So yeah. the human to human experience. And that's kind of where it has to begin, mm-hmm. changing how we treat each mm-hmm. other. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah, it's been such a pleasure. Wow, it's been such a pleasure here as well. It, yeah. <laughs> you know, Joan um, could go on and on about that one. But, you know, sometimes I just wanted to point out, sometimes it's a look or that somebody gives to another where it's so profound and, you know, we were joking at one point, you know, at, when we weren't getting along, I would have, I would have rather Joan take a swing at me rather than what she said to me, but don't get me wrong. I'm the one I could come up with whatever you come up with. I can come up with something a thousand times more evil and cynical. Cause I just, do you have a few more minutes? Sure. Cause here's what I'll say. <laughs> My type of trauma, unfortunately, the body remembers everyone's trauma. Does it? it does. But the type that I had was similar. I found this out through my work was similar to men in particular that spent half their lives in prison. Mm-hmm. If they only spent three years or under, 
um, they weren't like me. They were actually more like Jane. I dated one actually, and that substance abuse. You also had three years in. So what I want to say about that tiger on your your heels, my brain circuitry, and it's documented. Your amygdala, where it's your fight or flight, is going to get bigger. I started stuttering in my forties. No, no proper treatment. There's other parts of your brain that aren't getting enough blood flow or are getting too they're, much blood flow. They're kind of getting shut down during a, yep. a flashback, let's say. I've and experienced that. Yeah. And, I've, and I've experienced that. He's experienced that. Well, and Jane had <laughs> medicine. She was describing um, to me how the book was describing my brain, that it, it's similar to having a stroke. Now, I didn't get help for my fuck nut screaming constantly zero to 60. I was that similar to that prisoner or veteran that secluded on holidays because even hearing other people's speaking, I didn't know how to be calm. People said that. Well, now I know why. So what I want to say is the psychiatrist on the documentary, Fantastic Fungi or Fungi, he cried when he heard that LSD and um, the mushrooms. uh, What did you say? Psilocybin? Yes. Yes is coming back and now people are going to be able to help these people. Well, I cried when I found out what marijuana did to the body and brain physically and the cannabinoids. And I, what I want to say is that if you have a loved one who cannot go from zero to a hundred in like a calm, they can't respond to you. They're going to react. They ignite. Yeah. It's you who, who, who were isolated and suffered from neglect. If you could just, view the other person with compassion we do change our behavior but there was no one in the community by the time i was a fuck nut that afforded me to change except for finally my twin sister because i asked her to help me and my family looked at me like i had two heads because it is all in here it is all up to me to get better i am supposed to be the change but if you start at birth And you don't have that trampoline to fall on, whether it's a mental health trampoline or a physical health trampoline. I was the one the tribe would have left me. So she picked me up and my ex-husband did. He picked me up. So if I didn't have them, I wouldn't be I'd only I'd be arrested a lot more than just two times in my life is what I'm saying is, you know, thank you for the help. And other people don't have it. And I'm sorry. Yeah, it's it's rough. I mean, uh, one thing is for sure life is hard for everyone on varying degrees. I feel like it will always be right. And it's a, it's highly dependent on what you make of it, whether you want to get better or you make excuses or um, the lack and effort of trying. There's a, there's another quote here within this paragraph that I absolutely (laughs) love, you know, yes, the way to heal trauma is to face it, name it, own it, and move past it with forgiveness, compassion for yourself and everyone around you. Something I've, over time, have learned from, again, the reflection of psilocybin treatment, thinking about my behavior, thinking about all human behavior, what yeah. selfishness is, what, uh, what all of these th- things that we exhibit day to day, and you know, why we experience them, why other people exhibit them. You know, it's just, there's so many factors, right? There's so many Mm -hmm. triggers. Um, There's, uh, there's no way to, to be able to solve all the problems all at once. 
but the recognition, as you say, as you see, mm-hmm. uh, as you say mm-hmm. it here, to face it, you have to recognize that there's something that you need to address. Running away from it never works. Absolutely not. This is Jane talking, and I'll just finish. Uh, I'll add to what Joan was talking about because I was the one who, and it was easy because it was easy for everybody else to say, "Oh my God, Jane." how she treats you. It's horrible. So that was, that was a theme in my life. I got to blame my ex-husband for the whole problem in our marriage because he was a little more aggressive than I was. So look at his behavior, right? So what I want to say was it was extremely difficult for me to make a decision to begin to view Joan through compassionate eyes. And it was on my, I was going for a spiritual quest because I, my life was just so bad, mostly because the person that was the most important to me, there's this passage of DNA. I'm telling you, we were one egg, it split. I had the experience of having a child. It's the same thing when it's physically growing in you and this exchange of DNA. I mean, there is some the thing that science has not been able to completely prove that people who are more spiritual know it's there is what we cannot see that connection. So my life was out of control in terms of my relationship with Joan and it took a dead grandmother, my thoughts about a dead grandmother to help me because the thing that was holding me back was my own ego. Why would I admit I was wrong? when she was so wrong, but you know how it always takes two, it takes two to tango, right? And you always get to blame the one who's being more harsh or more verbally aggressive, whatever. So my ego, if I didn't push my ego off to the side and make a decision, I started viewing her through compassionate eyes. Now I knew better. I knew that when you change how you treat someone, you'll be amazed at the results. I know that, but I was too stubborn because she was my twin and she hurt me badly, verbally, I guess. And when I did it, the, the, the results aren't immediate, but boy, are they, it's the back to my first love is I wanted to go into human studying human behavior through advertising, which was the evil sense because I felt so neglected as a child. And of course I had a perfectly normal, fine middle-class upbringing, but I perceived it as such a wrong to my psyche that I became very egocentric. This is very hard to admit, of course, in that it really was me self-perpetuating. It was a domino effect in my life to the point where in grad school, there was one um, associate professor that never would say my name, but my colleagues, it was a very small class. (laughs) You know, they got, you know, John and, and Sarah and whoever, right. And, my name never came up. And I, I asked um, somebody who said, that's one of the most uh, disrespectful things ever is to just not even acknowledge a human kind of like what we did with Aunt, um, Native Americans and blacks. I mean, they were not acknowledged to be full hundred percent white people. So anyway, and the results are famous and uh, fabulous. I mean, and, and just think about it. I did that. I didn't break I didn't shatter into a thousand pieces. I didn't then just ruin everything else in my life. What I got was wonderful results. Yeah, you know, I did. <laughs> and all it is is stop 
critiquing that person on everything they do. Absolutely everything. We, my attorney said to me, one of his last words to me was, Jane, we're living in a very unforgiving society. Mm. And I think it's just only going to get worse. Mm. And that's nice. what it was, was me not forgiving her for any little thing. You know, Seinfeld, you cannot do a show like Seinfeld anymore. It's just too provocative. It's too racist. It's too sexist. It's too everything. It's too oh, aggressive. But it made everyone but laugh. But it made everybody laugh. Oops. And all I did with Joan was I shut the fuck up is what I did. I stopped yeah. judging everything she did. And I threw out a kind word where it was warranted. In the book, I say I had no friends. She gave me friends when I divorced my uh, ex at the time, my husband at the time, and I moved back home. You know, I had, you know, two, three instant friends. It was lovely. Joan got me the job. No, you got me into college. No, but she got me the job. It went, you know, by, you know, when you get a job, because I got her something. And then, and then you have to go to human resources and oh. have, a, this was a place where they made you interview with human resources. A lot of nurses don't have to do that. And a human resources um, person, she needed to tell me, and I get it. She said, you know, looking at your resume and the way you used a job hop, because I didn't like my jobs and I changed them sometimes, or I got married and moved out of state. I would never Judged. hire you. She yeah. said, I would never hire you. I said, oh, but look at the last job. It's been six years. She judged me for my new graduate running around getting married business, trying to leave my family of origin because they were so neglectful. Well, life is is very tricky. You know, human behavior is complicated. It's it's something that I have observed for a while. We're we're all very complicated. and uh, a big part of that complication just definitely comes from ego and desire, ambition, um, uh, comparison. You know, uh, there was a there's a famous quote, I think, from Roosevelt. Comparison is the thief of all joy. And um, I, I feel like it's so true. Even in modern day today, we see it all, all too often. And there's so much to learn from each other uh, if we're willing to listen. That's Absolutely. I think I think that's a very very important um, reminder, as well as what you said earlier. That um, I'm trying to remember what you had said, uh, but it's not coming to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's not coming to us either. <laughs> there should there should there should be a little message popping up here. Uh, THC contributes to short term memory. <laughs> Right. Oh, but PTSD caused um, a certain part of the brain. The three parts was the amygdala, prefrontal cortex, and the hippocampus. And one of them got less blood flow, and then one would get more. Oh, you know how you act? At first, I started stuttering, but then the other part gets more. And this is how the prisoners were like, we laughed. We would be like, are you kidding? Because nobody who's incarcerated wants to act like a fucking pussy. And I don't mean to say that in a bad way. Like, ladies, you know, step up, that kind of thing. No one yeah. wants that. But when I would describe to them, you know, here's what's happening in our brains, I always included myself because human beings can't take any type of criticism unless it comes. Isn't, yes. isn't that beautiful? Yes. We're the most intelligent, yet we're the most intelligent in our being mean to each other. And we can't even take a fucking joke or that a finger point. No one can take it. No. So I had to include myself. And what happens is, is 
you start crying over everything. It actually it increases your own sorrow. And now you start crying like you're, you're, you're just such a wuss. Yeah. So when I want to say that the generation of my generation, the baby boomers, and how mean we're talking about the younger kids, oh, I could take you. And when I were younger, I mean, I do like Bill Burr and Bill Maher. And a lot of times Bill Maher says things about the younger people, like you don't even have to go to college because the jobs, what jobs are you looking for? Because, you know, I know young people that say that the new bachelor's is your new master's, like whatever. Anywho, that pissed me off, but that's him. Well, yeah, you can't, I don't know where I was going. I'm sorry. You and the prisoners. All right. and it was your brain. Oh, because people are oh, crying. Gen Z, those young people, as yeah. a community, what we are supposed to be looking at is if we suffer from PTSD and we know our symptoms, they have, you have so much worse of a PTSD because I didn't start acting like this. Like I said, until my forties was the stuttering and then the downhill and then I got proper treatment, I think, in my 50s. So if you have this experience now, we are not helping our generation that's supposed to be rising up. They're not going to be able to rise up. And it's our fault. Sorry. I've yeah, never on, on parent, so, well, but. on so many levels, you know, and I am a parent of two uh, little girls. And um, I joke with my wife often, you know, we have yeah. to teach them that, like, you know, mom and dad will always go the easiest on you. But life will not. Mm. Right. You know, mm -hmm. life will be very unforgiving, though we are very forgiving, but we need to instill the reality that like, you know, we we will be the easiest on you out of all people in the world that you will uh, encounter and uh, kind of preparing them for that. Uh, and my wife tells me, are you sure they're four years old? Why do they need to learn <laughs> that now? I'm like, well, you know, I, you got to start somewhere. Um, <laughs> but the the reality is, that um, the current generation, though very entitled, also very intelligent, they're being exposed to garbage. You know, mm -hmm. um, I, I can't agree with a lot of the shit that's going on. It's uh, it's dangerous. Um, you know, examples of what we've been seeing with gender equality and uh, transgender and various things. We live in America. Do what you want. You know, I, as, I, as a human being, sincerely want you to be happy. However, there's, however, that sounded like real bird. However, there's no, you know, there's no reason to try to convince a 12 year old who just five years ago believed Santa Claus is real to give them the ability to, you know, get a sex change at 12 years old without parental consent or to even have the ideas circulating in their mind. So that's like one aspect of it. We, you know, I think we should allow kids to be kids. Um, and I think even as parents, we're, we could be doing a better job, but we, we've grown up with our own traumas and we instill yep. them into our own children without realizing them. Uh, so it's like fucking generational. It's a cycle. Yeah, that isn't it goes on yeah. and on and on. on and Unless the DNA is passing through, it's bizarre. You know, it's so funny in, in the whole scientific community. I wish they would all get together, but I think the egos are too great. So medicine yep. is going to stay there and, you know, anthropology over there. But, but is whatever. So what, what one of the things, you know, because being a nurse and then a nurse practitioner, I mean, we've studied, you know, human behavior throughout the life cycle. And so when my son was um, tiny, I don't really remember, uh, let's call it kindergarten age. I think it was before then. He picked out the girly 
doll that had the buttons and the zippers because it was actually, you know, um, I was told that my son had a very good eye for color by a preschool person. Oh, I thought by a priest. But he he (laughs) disagrees, but I always would trick him. You know, being a single mom and he was the only one around and I, w- I had a date and he was old enough to know that. And I would say, Adam, you know, I'd say this, these shoes or those, these shoes. And I'd, ha- I'd and I'd make him, I'd like tease him. And he always, always picked, in my opinion, the thing that went better to get. So the preschool teacher, I think was right. He had an eye for color. But anyway, what I really want to say is that what we've done in certain cultures, in certain you know areas of the world, we lock in what it means to be a boy versus a girl. And God forbid a girl steps out of that or a boy steps out of that. We, we, we can call them all kinds of names. You better conform. And now we what we often do when we are confronted with the atrocity or absurdity of something, oh, we go the other way completely, open the door wide open. Because I'll tell you, when um, doctors and nurse practitioners, we were diagnosing this underdiagnosed thing called bipolar 2 disorder, not bipolar 1, the one that everyone knew what it was, but this other one. Well, all of a sudden, our, our doors went wide open. And in my opinion, we overdiagnosed it because that's what we do. Yeah, we overdo. We over we, we try to correct, but we overcorrect until we find a balance. And maybe that's just human nature. We actually had the a privilege once again to be around a hermaphrodite. She also often tried to kill herself because what they did with her is usually that decision. Wasn't that like within a few? And what that meant was she had um, a vagina and a, and, and a penis. And a, and a, she had both, both organs. Thank yes. you. Both and, yeah. So she quite came quite uh, often and she was upset because not only was it done late for her, she felt they picked the wrong sex. So of course I want to say wonderful talk about things you know, if somebody, if a child doesn't understand death until they're at least age 11, why bring death up or play the exorcist for them? Don't do that. But I also want to throw in that you don't stop changing your mind like it's water until you're 35 years old. So for me, I used to be a vegan militant where you couldn't even enjoy your steak. I would have to leave the restaurant in a scene or if you didn't allow the dog to be over there i humiliated you or if you mentioned abortion i told you how many babies you ate throughout the day that you weren't aware of because i knew all those statistics but what i want to say now is why don't we let people be you know you conform all of a sudden are you an army now are you a dictatorship socialized programs are wonderful when they work for the children and adults you know, everything we have, public schools. And, you know, in Europe, they said, I, when they told me how much they paid in those countries for their taxes, I went, oh, like an American would. <laughs> I think it was in the 40 some percent. I went, oh, you know, I almost needed, a, you know, an inhaler. I don't have asthma. <laughs> but yeah, she said, honey, calm the fuck down. I don't stress the way you do. I have health insurance. I could have, I could be an entrepreneur right now because I have that health insurance. She said that we go to schools, not every school. We go to school for either free or reasonable amounts. 
you know, we go into whatever we're doing and their life was just easier. Maybe the car system in one country said they couldn't get the cars that we got, but I would forego a fucking car if I had those other privileges as rights, clean water, all of those things. So we can't get better until we treat people with humanity and we will always have trauma. Don't get me wrong because we're not perfect. And there's an animal kingdom over there. But there's a zebra effect and animals do not treat the animal that survived the attack the way we treat people as that most intelligent being ever. Because in in the physical realm, so there is um, there is a class system in medicine and the ones that are, are down, you know, Surgery, neurosurgery, oncologists, I mean, cardiac surgeons versus a cardiologist. I saw that. That was hilarious. One does the surgery and the transplants, and the other one just knows the human body like the back of their hand. And yet the one that plays God is always more revered. So the so what's on the bottom is psychiatry because the mentally ill and the substance abuse population our dregs of society. Remember, we used to kill them or institutionalize them for their lives, or right? Give them a lobotomy, or get yeah, yeah, that's nice. And then also <laughs> pediatrics, and um, and oh. and if you follow the dollar, the ones that are being reimbursed the, the lowest have to do with women, children, or um, the mentally ill. And there's a third. Primary care is also low. Oh, those are the three lowest. Oh, yeah. Primary care. Lowest reimbursed in this country. And again, in those other countries, everybody's afraid of a socialized single payer. We're not saying be a dictatorship. We're not saying that. Just Mm -hmm. in the human right, the human person to survive, you know, Mm -hmm. they get paid less uh, as in medicine. But the doctors are routinely interviewed and they go, of course, I can afford everything. Because, again, they forget the amenities Mm -hmm. that they have, like a good fucking hotel has amenities. And we forget Mm -hmm. that. And we just let people. It's a jungle out there. Welcome to it. So here's a true story. Here's a true story. When I um, became a prescriber a couple years in, um, I was told, and I'm in psychiatry, I was told that primary care got a decrease. Usually every so many years, you might get an increase of a few dollars reimbursement because the cost of living has gone up. And these companies are reimbursing the private clinician all the way to the biggest hospitals. And primary care got a decrease. I It was between one and 3%. And I wish I knew the exact, but it hit them, obviously. So years later, I have the privilege of talking to one of my colleagues who was in primary care, who said, yeah, you know what happened back then, Jane, the company Uh I was working at, instead of seeing, and I'm going to make these numbers up, instead of seeing 20 people in a day, we all have to see 25 people in a day. Or 40. Like I said, I'm making these numbers up. The point was, it was an increase because the Standard of living institution you are working at is not going to take a cut in their money. Right. It is you. They will cut you. And (laughs) you, the, 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 if you have the privilege to have cancer, at least in the New Haven County, there is a beautiful hospital that went up called Smilo. Our father at Yale, our father had the opportunity to be in both of those places, the, the main hospital on a surgical unit and this beautiful place called Smilo that treated cancer patients because he had a cancer that that's not what killed him though, but that's how he got into Smilo. 
And when I want to, what I want to say, I, I wish I was standing up with a megaphone telling the whole world that the difference in care for one, one or two blocks away was humane and kind yeah. versus treating our father who had Alzheimer's and had to be restrained physically with every hospitalization towards the end of his life. Because you have to put an NG tube in someone's nose when they have an exacerbation of Crohn's disease. You might have to do surgery. That NG tube is going in and we are not going to sedate you not going to do anything because of your age and whatever there's rules anyway he had to be restrained not just because of the physical procedures that had to be done by him but our mother they were married for so long they were never apart so whether she stayed the whole night he got agitated and said get me out of this place take me home she couldn't and with the doctor's suggestion one time was go home he had to be restrained as well because he said, where is my wife? And I need to get out of here. Restrained. Now, the difference in restraints on the regular inside of the hospital, well, most of the time we were not there because we weren't allowed. And I get it. We've worked in places where we have restrained people. We get it. But the fact that I was allowed and encouraged to be there in the Smilo Cancer Center and how the security spoke to him with with respect and dignity, how they restrained him because he had to be. And then the next moment, the pet therapy that is cut everywhere, pet therapy, you cannot have it anymore. Not at Smilo. And the fact that my father could pet a dog and just forget what happened to him and the restraint was loosened. I mean, it's it's what we need to be modeling our societies, not just the people dying of cancer. And you mentioned ketamine for psych. Well, it's supposed to be in for, you know, for children. Uh, the uh, Israeli army used ketamine for severe trauma because it has that am- amnestic effect. I yes. Yes, it does. And it's really good. And there's things that are safe. You know, propofol actually is safe. Um, you know, there's all kinds of safe opioids. Buprenorphine has a ceiling effect, but God forbid we use even Versed, the benzodiazepine. You can use a benzodiazepine on somebody older as long as somebody's being monitored. I mean, they're going to bring ketamine and all. Ketamine's so safe. Do you know how safe it is? <laughs> I did a paper on it years ago. You know what? I was an animal activist at the time. The teacher hated that. I included it all the time. It took, you know how long it took to kill the ape? Because usually it's done on mice. Then there's uh, other animals. Dogs take it for the team. But for some reason, ketamine. Tell them what the pharmaceutical industry has to. The pharmaceutical industry doesn't have to anymore. There's computerized assimilation for humane um, monitoring of that. And they don't have to do the lethal dose 50. That used to be a law. It used to be called lethal dose 50. Someone came up with 50% of the, the animals, I think, have to die before you could say, okay, that's the lethal dose now. 50% 50% died, not just one, because that's not true now, because one could have had a pre-existing condition that they forgot to screen for. Anyway, the ape, I want to tell you how many, um, 50 times the anesthetic dose of a human being. So put me under anesthesia of ketamine. 50 times my dose finally killed 
the eight. Why couldn't they have just said it's a fucking safe med? You might not like, you might not get less depressed about it, but this is a fucking safe med. Now that our parent, my father could have had. When you put the NG tube down him, he turned into Korea, the Korean War. He screamed like the commanding officer. And he said, you put that. He used many he words. He said, I die. I'll die right yeah, here. He was, You're not putting that in my nose. And they had to leave him alone. And then when we left, they violently restrained him and got it in. Whatever. Gosh. It's just bad. That is pretty bad. Anyway. I mean, All right, what did you we know, talk for two hours? Yeah, Sorry. just about, but don't be. <laughs> this is, it's such a great conversation, and this is the whole point of the podcast is meaningful conversations, education, okay. learning from each other. Um, and, you know, the human experience is all very, very unique from every individual. Uh, I've had the pleasure of speaking with so many over the years here in the actual business I run, uh, but also online and just meeting people. The, uh, there was a couple of things you mentioned that I wanted to kind of talk about, and we'll probably wrap it up after that. The, uh, you know, we talked about mental health, schizophrenia, and the uh, addiction where many of these people become institutionalized or, uh, or worse, right? Um, over the years, you may have heard about the issues we see here in California with homelessness and a lot of them having mental issues. Uh -huh. uh, the reality is that the institutions that held these people for so long are closing down, they're being defunded, and they're releasing them to the streets. If they have no family, they got nowhere to go. They end up on the streets. Mm -hmm. So um, it, it's a huge problem for our communities because you, you, have, you have this duality. Like, number one, we want our neighborhoods to be safe. But number two, um, humanely speaking, like we don't really want to do something so severe or so ugly um, to get it under control. But yet for the last 20 years, I've watched it get out of control when, uh, it, when the populations were much, much smaller. So I see this as a mismanagement, just poor management, poor, uh, uh, poor legislation. They just, uh, they just don't care. They don't give a fuck about us, you know, because a lot of these fuckers live behind large walls in private communities. Mm -hmm. Their families and their children will never have to experience what ours have to uh, yeah. in these neighborhoods. But the, um, the, the toughest aspect of this is realizing that there is a lot of the mental health illness among the population who are homeless now. And there's not really like there's very little that can be done for them. You know, if there's no institution to put them into, what, what can we do for them? There, you know, it's, it's very difficult. Uh, the the other thing that had um, crossed my mind was, uh, it's not coming to me now, but it's all right. Maybe it will. But well, what can we do for for people? You know, right now, Jane knows. She just said she knows. Thank I God. Know. Tell you me. Know, every, you Any know, other? like hit it, Jane. Yeah, here it is. <laughs> so follow the dollar. Yeah. So we had the opportunity when Joan broke her foot, we were in LA somewhere. We were there and it was the best <laughs> thing ever. The Uber driver broke the Uber rules because we had to quickly put in the address of the clinic. They were going to, he, the Uber driver was going to take Joan to. And because I was having a hard time doing that, it was the cutest thing should have been a, a, um, in the movie. And when he ever looked back at me and said, I got it. And he, he put his foot on the, pedal we sped out well <clears throat> to get her prescription 
we had to drive through Skid Row yeah. and I had to get out and walk across across at least one block to get into the pharmacy and there's people talking to themselves. There's people uh, with a, maybe a weapon. I was trying to just get to do my business right without a lot of eye contact. But the feeling I got was this feels a lot like when I was a student at Westcon going to be a nurse and I'm at this place called the Yale Psychiatric Institute, the long-term place Joan was talking about that I was the student. She was the she was nurse. A nurse for several years and that was a place where they, what they would do is they would take these people that had failed all these hospitalizations and they were severely ill and they would take them off all their medication to do a washout three weeks to then see what is really going on. And we're talking floridly psychotic, like some of the people on Skid Row. So the treatment is we keep saying we need more nurses. We need more um, mental health services. We need more, more, more. Well, the people that run the world, those few people will never agree to the real treatment, which is more of a long-term place. And I don't mean locked the whole time. It's it's, they were on longer units. And when I saw Skid Row, I started to cry. I couldn't believe there that no one had water. I had just learned that the outhouses were taken. How can we treat? I had heard nurses were homeless as well. How can we treat our fellow man that way? And I want to say since the 50s, a lot of stuff in medicine, too, has been um, shh, uh, shh, like that. We don't want to talk about that because cancer was cured, possibly all those people that were killed. Oh, boy. Sorry. Anywho, uh, what we did was we took things away from our food system and everything. We've got toxins now. And now people say, good luck. Good luck. But I, I just couldn't believe that we're treating our people that way. So when you take them off the meds, I'm going to go back. What we did was we treated them like human beings. We didn't just talk them to death. Uh, it, you know, in an office, we took them places and made them feel normal. The worst thing ever is when you feel that that guy has is all that in a bag of chips. What is wrong with me? Why can't I enter society? And in modern medicine, those those occupational therapists and nurses and and therapists that were had their PhDs that were able yes. to be gratified by helping people. Those are the services that are cut. When mm-hmm. I joked about pet therapy, when I worked at a place where they had pet therapy, that was the thing everybody looked forward to the yeah. most because on a Sunday morning, you got to sit in a group and have coffee with the most beautiful Newfoundland dog, yeah. big, 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 beautiful dog that nobody could be depressed that morning. Nobody, because that dog knew who to go lick. It was wonderful. And I just want to say that zebra effect, a lot of people don't know what I'm talking about. If the group of zebra were yet running and the tiger got one, but the, for some reason he couldn't hold that one. So the, the zebra's not... I'm not talking about the dead zebras, the ones that have survived and it's okay, they're going to live. That population doesn't take that zebra home, kick them out. What is wrong with you? What what kind of loser are you? When I was young, I was able to, unbelievably, they allow (laughs) the regression. We don't even want somebody to be sick anymore. We immediately, when COVID hit, I saw it. Oh, all of a sudden, your nuclear family, that was it. I have no children. I never felt so ostracized. I thought I was going to change my will, you know, hello, after this 
chapter 13 bankruptcy and the hospital gets paid for that book, <laughs> you people aren't going to have my, you know, whatever I have. But it really showed me that that nuclear family, we, they were kicked. They want to survive. But those of us who had nobody, we, I felt pretty alone. Yeah. It's a, you know, tough, tough few years. And uh, just watching it all happen. I mean, I have my strong opinions of, well, you know, what we witnessed in 2020 to present day. Um, and I think it's to me, it it was obvious this was probably and more than likely the result of gain of function research. But shh, we, yeah. can't, we can't say that. <laughs> That's not allowed. You, you'll get silenced if you ever bring that up. You know, about the silencing, too. You know, when Jane said I had friends, I used to have a lot of friends of all different colors. And I also worked during, you know, uh, the overnight shift for 10 years. And there were a lot of times I was the only white person. And what I want to say is what my most of my black friends said is don't go adopt a black person from across the world or give to this organization. Confront your fucking peers And what I want to say is with rape, racism, child abuse, you know, I'm not able to say anything and neither are you. Don't ever say anything about somebody else's parenting. I just thought of that, even though your parents can't do that either, because we don't care about children in this country. (laughs) But (laughs) other people, (laughs) you know, if somebody, comedians, they're the ones doing the work. And I love comedians because, you know, at the end of one guy's show, he said he talks about how his friend who he invited, this guy, and then he invited a female friend. This guy ends up raping her. And he's like, are you fucking kidding me? I could have confronted asshole's behavior when it used to be A and B and he wasn't the creepy rapist, but he was just creepy. So, you know, if you don't, women can't confront men. You guys don't even look at us as like, we still don't get equal fucking pay. So I don't know what everybody's complaining about. I'm a woman. I'd like to die when I see another fucking woman getting the same amount of money as the other one does. Yeah. But that never passed because we also don't like women in this country. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess, you know, I guess there's uh, elements of truth there too. I mean, we can probably have a whole nother two hour session just awesome. around uh, the, uh, the equality of, uh, you know, rights and women and children. Um, but for another time, I, I would sincerely like to have both of you on again for the future. Uh, what I'll go ahead and do uh, at the beginning and at the end of this episode is um, introduce both of you. Uh, and then at the end of it, I'll uh, add all of your links so people can find you, discover your content, learn more about what uh, what you have done, what you have experienced, what you have to share uh, and hopefully that can gain some more traction for your message. It's, um, it truly is a, a pleasure. I mean, I learned a lot and that's why I love doing this is that I, I always have, um, the open mind to take in a great deal of information, reflect on it for long periods of time. Uh, and, uh, hopefully by the time, uh, you know, we speak again, we can probably talk about some of these other things in greater depth. So yeah, like our experience with psilocybin. (laughs) Well, and you're probably thinking that (laughs) I might still be saying, I don't think I want to try it because of Bill Burr's experience, (laughs) but you've um, opened my eyes as well and educated me. 
because I learn something new every day. <laughs> so I think I'm all right. I'm I'm going to yeah, do, do that. That's on my bucket list. Hey, it's worth it's it's worth a try. I mean, uh, the 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 reality is that um, fear dictates so much in our lives, including yeah. uh, including um, holding us back from growing as individuals. Uh-huh. It's it's uh-huh. right in your message. It's right in your profile. Uh-huh. Um, people can't grow when they're just afraid. Yeah, we didn't mention it. <laughs> Sure, a little bit. <laughs> well, I'm on the love more, uh, fear less part. I am, and I'm, and I'm su- succeeding. So that's why I imagine that if I, a few years back, if I did the psilocytum, I yeah. would have more of the lonely ego person. And now, because of, I'm moving my ego off to the side, I might have the love more. Well, you know, that's that, a, that's actually that really good part. without psilocybin. You're doing it without psilocybin. Yeah, that's powerful. That's well, powerful. That, yeah. Well, I am reduced to saying sometimes when I, <laughs> I'm trying to read all these things about love and, you know, I love Rumi and I love what God said to the rose. He said to me, like, I've been working <laughs> on that quote for a really long time. But, um, you know, I was trying to read A Course in Miracles. It got way too hard. So I am reduced. Uh, we were raised a little bit Catholic. I know the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father that I just connected. Oh, that's the Lord's prayer. Like that's how much I know about it. And um, I was reduced to saying that one night two times because I couldn't even think or say anything else. Positively. Positively. And my goodness, it actually helped me to the point where if the whole idea of prayer is we're famous for these mantras, like all is well, you know, joy, 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 joy fills my life. I mean that, but if you can't say those say any type of positive prayer type thing because the, all that is is just changing your brain chemistry to exude positivity or at least open your eyes to whole seeing show. the positivity whole nother show because oh, native americans we have many show. many yes. things to say about that yeah. sorry no don't be sorry that's something i wanted to mention about that is um i'm very much because of a lot of my experiences in my work and in my uh, in my self treatment with psilocybin, uh, I'm uh, incredibly uh, and deeply interested in human behavior. Number one, but number two, um, it's chemicals, whether produced by the brain oh, or, whether, or whether produced nat- naturally occurring in plants. I'm um, I just have a, a deep interest and love to at least begin understanding understanding in like through and through can maybe take multiple lifetimes maybe even yeah, forever absolutely you yeah. know but if i can just begin to understand what these chemicals are uh, i mean mm-hmm. we talked about addiction briefly right and for years i've uh, i've i've helped numerous people with addiction um and uh, including my own. I mean, we're, we, we all find substances. We're all, that, we're all addicted yeah. to something, something. given enough yeah. time or take yes. enough away from me. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's just, we just seek comfort in something. Yes. We're all seeking comfort in something. And Absolutely. so that could be a substance. That could be virtually anything that brings us that little bit of it comfort. It could be exercise. Absolutely. Oh, I mean, yes. that, that, see, that's addiction to the chemicals within your own brain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean. Yes. So this is part of the education that I love providing people is for years, I've gotten this, uh, uh, this saying from uh, many clients, I have an addictive personality and I'll take that information, but I'll try to teach them too, that um, it's not a personality thing. It's part of your biology. 
Yes. You know, you weren't you weren't magically or uniquely created, <laughs> right, to uh, to uh, enjoy opioids or the abuse of opioids. Right. right? You're you you know we're all uniquely designed this way biologically to uh, feel and experience the stimulation from all things. Yep. It's you know it, I feel like that's one really important aspect of education that is missed in uh in the world forget our country but in the world right. especially the world, for our yeah. children yep because our children at some point may experience these things they can experience it with social media i mean my little girl loves her amazon fire tablet she doesn't understand why necessarily but mm-hmm. helping her understand why is kind of uh one of my goals so that she can see that there are things that you'll always love to do because of the stimulation you're getting from it. It doesn't mean it's uh, it doesn't mean that you have to overuse it and that there's many things that can do this for you too. So um, it's been quite a journey for me speaking about it again and again and again and uh, enlightening, you know, people to uh, kind of have more faith in themselves that like, it's not your personality and you're not right. broke. You're not necessarily broken. And that's not the reason why you choose to abuse something. Mm-hmm. You they know, and you know what that I would like, and I'd like yeah. to call them and I'm sure I'm not the first person that has said this, but what came to mind was really, I believe we're malnourished and I, uh, I was addicted to cigarettes and yes, they are highly physically addicting. I thought that I'm not going to be addicted to these. I'm just going to, not miss my ex-boyfriend who left me. So, you know, it was just a brilliant, um, and I'm joking, it was a stupid thing that I did was get addicted. But, you know, all of the things, you know, you lie, cheat, steal, risky behaviors that go with addiction, it's just fueling this negative self-image that society has on you. When really what I needed was I needed some social supports. I needed to stop. Um, I was more of a sugar addict as well. Oh, yeah. um, you know, coffee, light and sweet, you know, make it, you know, even my beverages. So, you know, I wasn't taking care of myself well enough. And, and you could, you know, I saw a documentary, I'm going to find it. And I believe it was a food documentary that touched upon AA was created by these two guys, Bill and Bill. <laughs> and one of them was a doctor. I know that. But one of them, and I don't know which bill, so I don't know if it was the doctor or the other one, believed, wait till you hear what I'm going to say, believed he cured. Yep. This was it. I I rewound it several times. (laughs) Cured his alcoholism through diet, which was plant-based, whole food plant-based, and supplements. And I just remember one supplement being mentioned in that documentary, and it was... um, niacin the fl- it's a flushing vitamin you could take it to lower i want to say triglycerides or something like that or, or blood pressure something but be, be aware that it's going to give you this flushing feeling in your cheeks mm-hmm. um but it also helped with depression but the you needed high high doses and therefore it didn't go anywhere really so anyway there was a cure so i think of uh, everyone no one grows up to be a drug addict no one grows up to be a criminal oh because in the 50s you know they're malnourished somehow be 15 and be 17 one of those uh limits addiction um the 
the need for feeling. Yeah. Uh, it was I, macadamia nuts have it. So macadamia nuts and real licorice root in other countries are used to snack on to lower the addiction, physiological addiction to things, that kind of thing. It's excellent. So that we have a excellent. breakdown of society. Yeah. We have a breakdown of our food. But doctors also say things like this. Good luck with your apple cider vinegar or where did you get your medical degree? <laughs> well, are you fucking kidding yeah. me? Where did you get fucking yours that you don't even know the apple cider vinegar has a lot of medicinal qualities? <laughs> I've been I've been using apple cider vinegar with yeah. the mother to to kind of help control my uh, my high cholesterol levels contributed by my poor diet, which was which is contributed by the very impeccable marketing of fast food. Yeah, absolutely. So it's uh it's quite a cycle, but that works. It, it works. Yeah. It's uh, it's gotten it under control. I mean, my physical symptoms have yeah. uh, been reduced. I don't feel a lot of the things I once felt. I did change my diet. I exercise. Um, yeah. According to the doctor, it was like, you do this or we're going to put you on medication. I'm like, no, I'll, I'll do it. <laughs> I'll get it right. down on my own. I don't want the medication because that's just going to, it's just going to be a crutch saying like, oh, I can eat whatever mm-hmm. I want because I'm just going to mm-hmm. take this medication. That's not, you know, uh, that's not how life should be. It's, right. it's about moderation. It's about learning what discipline is and how you, uh, how you exercise it every single day in your life. Uh, without discipline, we, uh, we will continue to see a breakdown in many parts of society. And I think um, it's not it's not uh, it's not a, a trait that is taught that um, that commonly anymore. I think uh, it's been forgotten about and uh, there should be a serious emphasis on why uh, having discipline in your life in many areas, exercising it every day uh, yep. can contribute to better choices day to day. Absolutely. It really can. I mean, it so can. And why can't, um, you know, I'm sure pediatricians and maybe child psych, maybe they talk to each other. But, you know, I keep being I keep thinking about um, when I had my my son was headed into the sugar addiction that I had. And I didn't want that. So I had listened to an English pediatrician and she was talking about. Uh, the cookies in the cookie jar. <laughs> oh, because my son wanted the cookie before dinner. That's what it was. And I knew that if I told him you finish what's on your plate, then you can have the cookie. He was going to run into what I ran into was that. And I'll eat whatever's on my plate. I'm a good girl just so I can have that cookie. So what happened to me was I didn't have an on off switch. My my off switch was when I was gagging full after overeating what was on my plate because I really wanted a cookie. So the pediatrician said, instead of keeping the cookies in the cookie jar, you, you put the this group of children over here, get the cookie and make it a quarter of a piece of cookie. When they set the table for lunch, the cookie was right there ready to be eaten. Just like the glass of water, the kids could drink. And what they found with the, and then the other group, the cookie was like what, how we were raised. And I had to, I chose like that's to the eat prize. and there's my prize. The addictive qualities were so much worse with the children that the cookie was being t- held 
away from them. Yeah. And that's what we see. And so my son, this is the cutest thing because I did that. He could have a piece of chocolate. He could have that little bit of cookie. My son had to hold all the Easter candy in his bedroom. He had to hold all the Halloween candy <laughs> and not even just hold it in his bedroom. He had to hide it, which is wild. Talk about psychiatry could talk about how I raised him. And at some point I remember me saying, Oh, Hey, he said, I'm going to my room. And you know, he was probably junior high. And I said, yeah, can you bring out the Oreos please? You know, cause I wanted an Oreo. He had to keep that in his room. So what our country will not do, we continually, we have an opiate crisis. We have yep. everybody turning into an addict that a lot had pain management for all these legitimate reasons. We have so much addiction and so many people dying, but heaven forbid, yep. don't you dare look at a country that has changed what they did and gotten results of fewer deaths. Zero. One last year, zero. Zero. Portugal zero. So wow. we won't look at that because that would be, we'd have to change our entire system yes. from a, um, a punitive system that includes incarceration, a very punitive yeah. to a more of a public health kindness. Because what happened to me, that was the department of public health. What happened to me years ago, 10, 15 years ago, would have been a slap on the hand. And Jane, you really are going to have to cough up the money to prescribe electronically. And I don't know if you know this, Jane, but benzos are going out of vogue and you're still prescribing them. And you're also allowing them to be prescribed with uh, early recovery um, or in early recovery, or the pediatrician is giving them Vyvanse. What, who do you think you are? You gave them three Xanax and you know, I'm t I, I, I did. I, and I didn't go with the trend I didn't decrease enough, in my opinion, as fast as I could have, but I also didn't need to be um, put on probation and I had a fine, like healthcare. Now you have to pay a fine. Uh, halfway across the country, the doctor made a mistake and the patient died. The fine was just over $500 and we're talking a punitive nation. Now everyone's finding people instead of no one. Well, Connecticut was 2000 up to 10,000 for the fines. Yeah. Wow. Run so like that, hell unless you're rich. I mean, there's a doctor, there's a doctor in Connecticut who was one of my idols, a psychiatrist, one of my idols, not just for the t style of therapy and treating patients, but his prescribing practice. So kind. so kind. I mean, when I saw two years probation and a $10,000 fine for mm -hmm. no one died, I mean, come on. So right. that that so that was uh, that was the specifics of like your probation and the fine is like um, you were you were prescribing something that uh, they felt were like, oh, you needed to slow this down or decrease it. I mean, isn't that kind of within your discretion as a um, as a prescriber? Yes. What I was taught by my mentor, who was the um, he, chief of psychiatry at a hospital in the New Haven area for I think 20 something years had his own psychoanalysis. What he said was, Jane, yes, in medicine, we follow these algorithms. You know, you don't give a schizophrenic Prozac because you're going to make the psychosis worse, for example. You know, you have to prescribe within the guidelines of how you were taught. And then there's an art of prescribing. You choose these meds for this style of patient, et cetera. And what he said is, Jane, it's not so much what you do in medicine, but it's how you've documented the rationale of what you did. Well, I did that. I did that. Yeah. But that wasn't good enough. It just wasn't good enough. So 
things we've gotten in trouble for, I mean, there's countless people, prescribers that are continuing to prescribe these things, basically two controlled substances at the same time, whether it's one prescriber or two prescribers. It wasn't uncommon to meet someone that was on three controlled substances, you know, but anyway, the, the point is, is we are now a punitive policing state or country against our prescribers. And you want to what treat mentally ill or treat medical patients with dignity, dignity and respect when you're not treating your prescribers that way. It's a lose lose situation. Yeah, it is. One it's of the <laughs> before the more recent things that people are scrambling around, like everything is a procedure. The only way you get reimbursement is you have to pr- prove, you have to chart and prove and prove and prove to the detriment of the patient care. But before that model, I had read that doctors, their first thought before entering a room was, remember, how do I not get sued? Oh. And they, you can't live in a society and have these negative policing-like thoughts against the people that are the helpers. You can't. You can't. I mean, I mean, they're trying, right? As a as yeah. a medical practitioner, you're yes. trying to help, and this is kind of like the difficult nature of the job. Is that number one? You have an incredibly high um, performing job, very demanding which also comes with a very high price tag, right? They've got to pay those, uh, you know, those uh, debts back for their degrees. Um, And at the same time, they have to be considerate about how they're going to treat the patients they get. Uh, When you add everything else that you just mentioned, it uh, it becomes impossible. To give you a a brief kind of uh, example, um, there's a plant substance that has been replacing opioids the last decade. Uh, I got, I started participating early because I, that's just who I am. I'm curious about plants. I, I test things, I trial things. And this is where we saw an incredible amount of success with helping people um, deal with chronic pain, deal with uh, opioid abuse or heroin abuse. Mm-hmm. Uh, you may have heard of this plant. It's called Kratom. Mm-hmm. Yes. But over the years, what I have seen is that many of the clients that find me for this plant, uh, as we have conversations and I learn more about them, you know, their purpose for seeking it out is because with their legitimate um, uh, troubles, medical troubles they have, it's documented, They're, they've been diagnosed, they've been prescribed for many, many years, their prescribers are having to reduce or remove anything that could potentially uh, come back to them and bite them in the butt. So people who uh, rely on some of these medications for a slightly improved quality of life, we're not even talking about like, you know, they're able to do backflips. It's just, they want to be able to get out of bed um, uh, and they're not allowed to have this anymore. So this is some of the repercussions of, as you said, uh, targeting doctors and prescribers and uh, almost making them criminal for mm-hmm. try, trying to treat their patients, especially ones who legitimately have documentation uh, clearly showing 
that uh, the prescribed medication is more than sufficient for the case. So like, what do you, what do you, what can you do with that? Um, unfortunately, I think this is where we have to stop. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to get started on some other things, but uh, I want you to know that I genuinely appreciate all your time. Thank you for coming on. And uh, I, uh, I know there'll be a great deal of value that comes out of this podcast uh, with the information both of you have provided. Um, I, I just, I don't know. I don't have so. words. Joan and Jane, you guys are awesome. Thank you. you, know, thank you. So are you. I love the energy. I love the combo that you guys uh, have here. The, uh, the information is, I want to say, like way above the, uh, the expectation of like a podcast of this type. If that Wonderful. makes sense, we're, we're very you know pleased. I mean? Yeah, you know, what I mean? like the professionalism, the uh, the information. You you both definitely have quite the educational background and have the experience. So this is why uh, I look for guests just like yourselves every single day. Thank you so much because we do. We like to make sure everybody knows it. And herpes isn't forever either. It was black walnut oil, a girl said. She said, oh, honey, you American women are so funny. Well, she wasn't. She didn't care about you guys. I know you all get it too. But she said, herpes isn't forever. And I was like, what are you talking about? And she said, black walnut oil. So if anyone had that. So again, in this country, they don't want to hear the word cure. Interesting. Thank you so much, though. It's been wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> 